Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leiner. I'm joined by my friend and everybody's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Shaggy, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. I made chicken tenders. You made chicken tenders? I mean, did you make them from scratch? Yeah, I mean, I made them even more from scratch than I think this would be expected because my girlfriend's on a bit of a keto diet. So we didn't use breadcrumbs. Instead, I took uh, taco shells and put them in a bowl and just punched taco shells until they were really small and crumbly. So it was more of like a cornflake stuffing than a or cornflake breading than a bread breading. So you beat up some taco shells to make your chicken tenders tonight. Now, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It turned out pretty well. I was, I was happy with it. Right. What about yourself? Oh, no, I'm just... You know, Shag, this week is, is I've been I've been dragging a little bit to be honest with you. Uh I've been working a uh, a ton lately and it's just been uh I've been going to bed early at night, which is very unlike me, especially in the summertime, because normally right now we're down at Edgley during a summer league game and then afterwards we'll we would grill out and we'd be hanging out until until well past dark. And uh yeah, I uh and I'm I'm normally a night owl and now I'm going to bed by uh nine thirty, ten o'clock. It's insane. I don't think I've ever met a well rested Steve Liner. Yeah, it's uh it's a dangerous thing, a well rested Steve Liner. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of dangerous, we are joined in this episode by the current D C Breeze player and former Philadelphia Phoenix player. Handler extraordinaire, Ethan Fortin. Ethan, thank you for joining us here on The Burning Bird. Yeah, no problem. Uh, glad to be here. First time uh, voice on the show, long time listener. Well, thank you for uh, listening to The Burning Bird. We, like, we, we really appreciate it. That makes you one of like 18 people. So consider <laughs> yourself in like rare class there. That's very cool. Now, I think I think our numbers are going up, Shag. What do you think? Uh, well, they are. I know our numbers are going up because I get all the stats. But okay, well, that's uh, that's great. I mean, I like, uh, like every everything's coming up shaggy here. So well, uh, and speed. Uh, it's true. It's true. I mean, we are. This is a quality product. What can we like? You know, we can't shy away from that. So, Ethan, how's how's things been going with you? How have you been handling the quarantine and everything else going on in the world right now? Um, I've been handling it pretty good. Uh, quarantine specifically, I've been uh, trying to get outside probably four to five days a week, um, going to Edgley um, to, to run and throw. It's been pretty empty there. So if you're a, a, a Burning Bird listener out there, um, you'll see me there on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I ran into you a week ago or two weeks ago. Yep. I've lost all track yeah. of time. but <laughs> That's a nice place to go even when it's quiet, isn't it? Uh, Edgley is just a... Uh... There's something special about that place. Yeah, uh, I get there right about six o'clock uh, when summer league games normally start, and it's just a magical time. So uh, you played for the Phoenix last year, and you decided to leave the team and go down to DC this year. What led to that decision? Well, it's, I'll take you on the uh, the journey. So my uh, my time with the Phoenix began in in 2014. Um, I tried out for the team as a freshman in college at Villanova. Uh, Steve, when you were coaching, actually. Yep. Um, I don't know if you remember me at all from back then. Absolutely, I do. But I, I got a, a practice spot offered to me, and um, I didn't have a car, and you guys were 
practicing all over, so it was really hard for me to attend practices. Um, and then 2015, I played about a full season. Um, and then uh, 2016, I played spinners. 2017, I tore my ACL, and, and I came back in 2018. Uh, so I've been around the Phoenix for, for quite some time now. I've gotten to see sort of all the stages from um, some less than successful seasons to uh, some of the great progress we're building towards. Um, and that, that's been really great for me. Um, but specifically this year, I have, I think last year I was feeling maybe a little undervalued. And we have some two very competitive AUDL teams to the north, uh, one being New York and one to the south being D.C. And both coaches, I have good relationships with both of them. And they both were recruiting me, trying to get me to come to tryouts. And, yeah, I ended up just playing D.C. this year. Um, I, I, I've had a good experience with Daryl when he coached me in spinners in 2016 and, and citywide in, in 2015. So, yeah, that was a lot of different factors took me down there. But uh, I was excited to, to try a new situation to see how my skills would grow in a new area and uh, just give it a try how much did that familiarity with daryl uh help in the uh, influence your decision um it was crucial uh daryl definitely uh knows me as a player he he told me exactly where i would fit in on the team so i kind of knew what spot i would be, be moving towards um and then i have some friends on the team specifically david bloodgood and david shields who are both old uh, Philly guys who who were in college around the same time as me, so um, giving me spots to stay on the weekend um, helped me out with with coordinating uh, travel was was really nice. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask how difficult is it to make practices down there. I have um, a job I work in the tech industry that is pretty flexible as long as I get my work done. Um, so I was taking a Greyhound bus down around oh. noon every Wednesday. It's probably at four-hour ride, and then I was leaving from D.C. at midnight on the Greyhound home. Um, I'd get home around 2.30 a.m. So it was it was long. I was in D.C. three days a week, but it was a really fun fun experience. It only lasted about a month and a half, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm hoping to get back there, assuming that the season comes back. What's it, uh, what's it like throwing the Rowan McDonald? Um, Rowan is incredibly fast and expects to catch everything. So he's, he's the kind of player that if um, you make a mistake, and, and I remember one Huck, I, I floated up a little too high for him, um, he comes back after the play and says, that, that's on me, when uh, it was clearly a bad throw. So he's, he takes responsibility even when it's not even his fault, and it is really comforting to play with somebody like that. Well, you also talked about the New York team, and uh, Brian Jones got you to go up to New York for a tryout as well. Can you talk about how that went? Correct. Yeah, I went to three Empire tryouts. Empire is um, definitely a, a fun opportunity, uh, especially to push yourself against some of the best players in the country. There's no doubt that they have the most talented roster in the ABL. Um, so, so getting there, it was interesting to to really get repetitive reps against guys like uh, Jeff Babbitt, uh, Ben Katz, because we, you know, we'll play them in a game. Um, once or twice a year, but just to be there at a, at tryouts with them and have them kind of lock down your throws throughout practice was, was definitely a new experience um, that really elevated the level of, of those events. You, when you played for the spinners in 2016, you, you got to play in front of that huge crowd at Franklin Field. Um, the, now, the Phoenix haven't been able to replicate that yet, but uh, is that something that you're yearning for, to, to play in front of a crowd like that again? 
Yeah, I, I, I should clarify that um, Spinner's 2016, I was battling a handful of injuries, so I didn't play in that playoff game. I played in the one against Boston in the semifinals, but uh, in Franklin Field, I was on the sidelines helping Daryl run uh, the D-line. I was actually calling subs for our D-line. Um, but playing or being in front of a crowd that size was something I've never gotten to experience before. I remember warming up, um, getting ready with the team, helping the guys get ready, and then uh, first play of the game, Dave Bear overthrew a huck to Mac Glazer, and Glazer, current Phoenix uh, player, Mac Glazer, um, chases this fifth down, and I hear the crowd not cheer, but just gasp, like exhale some air as, as the excitement fills the stadium. Um, and I have never heard anything like that until the Phoenix played the Eagles halftime game. Um, there's definitely similar energy, uh, but on a much bigger scale. What did you think of that halftime extravaganza? Um, it was, it was an incredible opportunity. Um, as a player, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity that I hope the Phoenix continue to build that relationship with. And I think it speaks volumes for where the sport could possibly be headed. Um, there were, we said, probably like 40,000 people who, who stayed um, and watched the halftime show, and uh, people were quite loud and, and quite excited. Um, they were pretty anti-Dallas, too, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, a Philly-Dallas love-hate relationship. Uh, that's mostly hate. So you've been listening to uh, to a few burning birds. Do you think we were wrong about you? Do you think we've been treating you fairly on the show, or how do you? Um, I, I've listened to all of season two, uh, so I've heard I've heard all the comments. Um, I've listened to a lot of season one as well. I don't think unfair. Uh, I think all of the criticism is very valid. Um, Sh- Shaggy brings up a lot of stats that I think um, are, are very valid, but I would like to, I guess defend myself here a little bit um sure well that's what we're giving you the shot to do here <laughs> yeah yeah so Wait, but um, before I, before you do i would like to i would like to say one thing really quickly about the stats um so in 2018 and 2019 you mer- somehow i don't know how you managed this but you averaged 45 and a third completions in each game um you had the highest completion rate on the team of anybody at 96% of anyone who threw more than 15 throws. Uh, you're, you were about two assists a game in 2019, which was up from 2018. Um, so you're, and, and your numbers are staggering. I mean, 408 leads the team in completions by a mile. So statistically, you are, uh, without a doubt, way ahead of, I think, where I was giving you credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah, I will. So it's interesting. So I led the team in completions last year, um, but I wasn't able to make all of the games. Um, and that's something you guys brought up as a fair criticism and, and something that has been talked about a lot on the, the Burning Bird this, this uh, year. It's been commitment to the Phoenix and, and what that means and players prioritizing Phoenix over club. Um, 20, so 2019, I missed uh, the game in Toronto for a wedding, a uh, family wedding. And then I missed the other two Canada trips for um, a patrol tournament in Colorado, um, which I would like to point out uh, was a predetermined agreement between patrol and, and Phoenix at the beginning of the season. Um, but it was, it was really hard to miss uh, all three of those games. Even, even going to patrol, it definitely hurt me not to be there with my teammates um, when they were battling out, out in Canada. Um, 
and then 2018, I played probably only in eight or nine games of a of a longer season. You played in six, um, but six. yeah, but they, but Even that's why it's so incredible. You had the same number of completions in all the games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, in in 2018, I was coming off of an ACL injury and finishing up my fifth year at Illinois. I missed a handful of professionals and regionals, um, and then I was really still pretty injured coming off that ACL injury, and I sat at least three games at the end of the year from, from injuries. Um, so I, I really felt like 2019 I was feeling healthy, and 2020 I'm feeling even better. Um, and I think I'm getting better at my weaknesses. So I think my strengths are the ability to get open in the reset space, talk to how many touches and completions I'm able to get per game. And my very high completion percentage uh, I attribute to the fact that I – see the field really well and I take the risks that are smart um but sometimes I think I look off some open hucks some open aggressive throws that I'm trying to push myself to take so that was my goal for 2020 was to to maintain that completion percentage but to increase um yards thrown um assists and and some aggression so you're you're going to DC and I mean obviously you know, Noah, you're not replacing anyone exactly, but uh, Nate Pryor, who was kind of filling that role of leading the team in completions, leading the whole league in completions, is gone. And he, uh, just because of the system or because of the player that he is, averaged about 10 more completions a game um, than than you have in your career. Because now we know your career, you average the same amount in every game. So <laughs> did you, I mean, obviously, like, we don't know. The season didn't get underway, but did you find that you were like shouldering an even larger load in DC than you had been in Philly, or did you feel like you were playing the same and, and just the healthier Ethan Porton? Yeah. Well, I should first shout out Nate Pryor, who is an incredible player. And I don't think I could ever replace what he does. He um, is just a machine out there. Um, very, very difficult to guard, very hard to stop. Um, I think his high touches per game was a big, a uh, piece of the the system um, in D.C., being that they like to play a lot of small ball. Um, they're very quick at moving the disc. That's something that um, they, they game plan for. But I don't think that if I went there, if I had gone to play a season, I don't think I would be near uh, the number of touches that, that he got. Um, I might be on the top side of that the, the O-line, but I don't think that I would be putting up the numbers that he did. But I, I was looking forward to, with, with D.C., the, the change of style. They have um, an O-line that is a little less uh, restrictive, uh, meaning that I would maybe get out of the handler space a little more, uh, something I wasn't able to do in, in Philly, primarily because of my knee and how I felt like not as confident downfield with that. But as I've been getting healthier, I've been feeling more confident, at least moving out of the, the backfield and attacking deep or attacking downfield. Easy, need you talk about oh, trying to open up some of those deep shots, in, uh, especially when you're in the power position and have an open cutter to, uh, this year. Is it is it the system down in D.C. that's going to allow you to do that a little bit more? Is that something you're uh, consciously taking on yourself? Is that something Daryl has said, that giving you the green light to do? Um, what's what's bringing that on? Um, we, on? On the Breeze roster this year, we have a lot of really talented throwers, so um, – I don't know that I, I've give, been given a green light to just kind of let it go, but um, Daryl's definitely encouraged me to be 
aggressive um, a little more so than I was in Philly, and that that push has definitely been helpful. Um, but I would say that, that the, the hardest things about throwing deep and the things that I've worked on the most is, is, is first, when we played D.C. and New York three times a year, um, we rarely, especially our O-line, we rarely get one-on-one deep. They always have a second defender coming, whether that's Babbitt or some of the other really talented guys um, across those rosters that are just looking to get speed in the deep space. Versus when we play teams like um, the, the teams from Canada, they do a lot less switching, a lot less help. It's a lot easier to throw. So um, my my first goal was um, to really start to read the field better and be able to move defenders um, with my, my fakes and um, and see if I can open up defenders going deep when, when there's normally a two-on-one. Um, and then the second thing I was working on is just trying to increase the range because right now I when, I, when I'm throwing hucks, I'm putting like 80% of power in because I want that 100% completion. I'd rather throw a disc that lands 10 yards short of the end zone, but I know is going to be a completion and I can control the edge. I can control the shape. I can control where it's going to land um, as opposed to throwing it, um, you know, 80 yards and, and it being uh, much more likely that it tails out of bounds or tails away from the receiver. So working on controlling my aim, my range at the end range has, has really been something I've been working in during this quarantine. Are you, are you going to play down in D.C. in 2021 if the 2020 season doesn't start? Um, I I have no way of, of knowing where, where I'll be. Part of me definitely feels uh, a little cheated that we didn't get a full season. Um, I'm looking right now, we'd probably be, you know, two, two-thirds of the way through our season. Uh, playoff picture would be a little clear right now in the in that division. And, and it does – I do feel a little robbed, but um, I I've made no commitments anywhere yet to 2021 man that's crazy to think about that we would be <laughs> chugging our way through a season yeah how how much were you looking forward to playing against the phoenix this year i i have a lot of friends uh on the team and and i have been in the locker room with with those teammates now uh last couple of years last two years really in 2018 that course stayed the same adding pieces um and then all of the new additions uh, to the roster this year, I have some uh, past experience with, whether that's playing at some college, a patrol citywide relationship, um, just friends in the city. So I was really looking forward to playing uh, Philadelphia this year, and um, I got a bunch of trash talk from, from some guys on the roster, specifically Dustin, um, Dustin Hankin, who's giving me a lot of trash talk, telling me he's going to shut me down. So I was excited for that matchup. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, were you looking forward to playing in in uh, in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think. Well, besides the fact that uh, I don't have to travel for those games, that that's my only home game of the year uh, would be when when DC comes to Philly. Um, I was really excited for the new super site. I, I'd been in, in Conchie and around the Conchie Stadium since 2014, and uh, I had been pushing since probably like 20, 2015, 20, 2016 that a stadium near the city would probably get a lot more of the Philadelphia Ultimate community to come out. Uh, access to the subway is huge, and, and I was expecting crowds to be bigger, so that was going to be exciting. What do you think about the uh, the AUDL's uh, proposal of the pod system, where D.C. would be in a pod with the uh, with Philly, Boston, and New York, and uh, two of those teams would emerge uh, with playoff first? I, I was really looking forward to it. Um, or I still am, actually. I'm, I'm very hopeful that that will be able to happen uh, as states start to open up and 
I hope we can find a way to, to get that done safely. Uh, it, somebody brought up, I don't know if it was Arcata or, or you, Shaggy, who brought it up, that it is the, the old MLU division of D.C., Philly, New York, and, and Boston. Um, and I have now um, friendships and, and relationships on, on all those teams with, with having gone to a few Empire tryouts and, and really getting to know some of the guys up there and um, obviously playing in Philly for the last five to ten years. And um, then I, I'm from the Boston area, so I know a lot of the people on the glory. So I was really looking forward to the opportunity to play them this year. And I'm glad the schedule has worked out where that is a possibility. Uh, it might be some good that comes with this. My family uh, is from there, and, and it'd be fun for them to get to come see a game. I guess um, one of the one of the last questions I have for you is, uh, I mean, we've we, we've been kind of rough on you uh, in, on on these podcasts. Should we have been nicer, or or do you think we were we were fair? I I appreciate how um, real you guys have been, and and I say I say real, not harsh, because I think a lot of the criticism you have is the criticism that I see in my own game, and that fuels me to get better. Uh, I am a, a very hard critic of myself, and uh, even when I do something good, I see where I could have done it better. So that has really motivated me through some some extra hard workouts and some extra throwing sessions. So I, I appreciate it, and I don't think anything you said has not been something that I have told myself. Right, well, that's very kind of you. Uh, that's uh, very, uh, you know, taking the uh, taking the high road. I see. Uh, that's that's a that's a a road uh, not often traveled here on the Burning Bird. No question about that. So. Yeah, Steve. Uh, I mean, you guys run a you run a talk show, and 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 the people come to see uh, some bloodshed. So it's it's good that you guys can be a little aggressive too. <laughs> <laughs> on a more serious topic here, uh, you want to. Uh, Give us your thoughts on the uh, on the protests going on in Philadelphia and around the country, and uh, what's just on your mind about everything right now. Yeah, um, I have been in Philly now for um, almost two years, um, and it's definitely been eye-opening for me. I, I grew up in a very very small town in in Massachusetts, um, and then I went to Villanova. Um, a very, very sheltered community, and, and this has been very eye-opening for me, and uh, I've definitely taken a lot of time to reflect, and I, I know James Pollard and Nate Lula were on, on the podcast um, the, the previous episode, or I don't know how many episodes ago. It'll be when this one comes out, but um, I, I, I listen to them, and, and, and I'm taking the advice of, of now is my time to learn and educate myself, because I, I have not been educated, and I do not know what's going on um, it, it's been something that I'm taking very seriously is, is trying to get caught up and, and become aware um, and, and look forward not just um, to the protests, but, but how we continue to improve um, and make sure that this doesn't die, um, this, this movement doesn't die three to four weeks from now, that it continues to grow and gain momentum and, and have uh, lasting effects. Yeah, I think that's very well said by you, uh I think uh, we're we're all still struggling with it, and and rightfully so. And uh, um, and, and it's it's good that the conversation is still going on, and it, it needs to continue to go on. That that there's no question about that either. And uh, we just uh just got to find a way to be better every day, and then do the best we can. And I think that's that's all we're trying to do here. So, uh, Chag, you got anything for Ethan here? I had. So many things. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Ethan, so there's an episode of The Burning Bird of the Phoenix Files that we recorded, um, and it was about the game against the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. And we got had the coach from that game, Pat Hammonds from Pittsburgh. He was on. And uh, it was in 2018. And I don't know if that episode is ever going to come out or if it will come out before this or, or after this. But I in that in that episode, I hold up a sign, and it says, bring back 2018 Ethan Fortin. Uh, because – and I remember feeling this way, too, when I was doing the broadcasting that, like, you you provided a level of you're – you were a dynamo in the backfield in the way that, like – look, the previous year we had Nikki Spive on the team, and I honestly liked what the offense better when, when you were leading it. And then in 2019, I, I really liked watching you, but I felt like it was – I did not feel the same. And then I looked at all the stats today, and there's no reason for me to feel that way. So, statistically, you were better. So, I'm curious if you feel like I was warranted in feeling that way at all, or if, like, I'm totally off my rocker. No, no, you are very, very warranted um, in feeling this way. And um, I – so, in that game, in that Pittsburgh Thunderbirds game, um, 2018, I'm taking myself back there now – we had an O-line that um, was missing Ethan Peck, who was the number one assist leader for our team that year. He was on pace to be at least in contention with, with Mott for a while until um, he stopped attending games probably for patrol reasons or something along those lines. Um, he was out, and I knew that if our offense was going to continue to succeed, uh, someone was going to step up and fill that role, and, and, I, and I knew that, that that was my time, and I, I put that on myself. Uh, to, to be that. And I think that that's kind of what has happened now throughout my career, or at least for the last year and a half. I, I find myself being, because of how conservative I am sometimes, um, I can find myself letting other people take those shots. Some some of them are good. Some of them I think I might have been able to find a better shot, but some of my, my timidness definitely holds me back um, when there are other players on the field who are willing to do that. And I take a more assist or secondary role. Um, so I, I've been trying to, like I said, improve my confidence um, and my aggression into trying to become one of those primary players consistently. Uh, and I think in 2019, um, there were flashes of it, uh, uh, games where Billy Sickles uh, isn't on the field uh, or Stu uh, isn't on the field. I'm able to step up and, and be a lot more productive um, just with the shots I take. Uh, and, and specifically in, um, I think, the second game at BC where, where Mott, showed up at halftime, I knew that Mott wasn't on the field. I needed to be the one to drive the disc down the field. Otherwise, um, we were going to have a stagnant offense. And I think three points into the game, I realized it. And then I start unleashing. Um, I probably have, I think, four or five hucks in that, that first uh, – or the, the second and third quarter combined. So um, I'm trying to become more consistent and become confident enough to do that on a game-to-game basis. That is, that's what I'm working for. So – Kind of completely switching uh, topic. You and I were talking earlier this week in preparation for this podcast, um, and we were talking about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I've started playing um, a couple campaigns because of quarantine, because everyone has oodles of time, and I was DMing a campaign with a bunch of frisbee school that had never played before. That was really hard. And then I much more wisely convinced someone else to DM a different campaign, and I'm playing in that. That's a lot easier. But you said, or were you DMing both of those campaigns? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons um, 
like eight months ago when uh, a 2018 Phoenix player and a patrol teammate of mine, Evan Carson, convinced me to play. Um, and I, I got hooked. Um, and then quarantine hit, and, and the campaign I was playing was with uh, Evan Carson. Uh, we put that on pause, and I still wanted to play, so I uh, somehow got wrapped up into running two of those, and it takes up now um, two nights of my week running it and probably another full night actually getting ready for it. So um, that is a big hobby of mine right now. Yeah, it's a hard job. Have you, um, as, as the DM, ever considered a way to put Ultimate Frisbee in your game? Oh, interesting. No, um, I, I've never thought about putting the game itself in there. And, and I actually, both of the groups I play with um, are pretty frisbee heavy uh, with, with people. So they might enjoy that or they might hate it. Uh, I'm not sure how it would go. But I, I do put a lot of the, um, I think, kind of spirit of the game or, or morality questions um, into Dungeons & Dragons. I think that's a, a good place where they kind of relate. Is, um, on a play, it happens so fast. I mean, I'm talking also specifically, and you don't know if you've, if you've committed a foul or not, but you have to make a decision based on the limited amount of information that you can recall. And I think putting people in that situation in any setting is interesting. Give them a little bit of information and try and have them suss out what happened and, and then what side is the moral side to be on. Uh, it's definitely a fun, a fun adventure uh, when we can't have ultimate outcomes. Do you have an example of from one of your recent campaigns where you put them in this kind of situation? Um, yeah, we uh, so um, we're gonna get really nerdy here. Um, there is a, <laughs> a group of of monsters, um, things living in the underworld who have taken over um, this town in in the northern tundra, uh, where one of my campaigns is set. And um, the party has arrived, probably been there about a week, and now they need to decide um, if the people in the town have the right to the area, even though the people moved in there first and kicked out these monsters, or if the monsters who have been there for forever deserve a home to live in, even though they are trying to get rid of the people by um, sort of killing them. So that, that sort of reality of, of who is just in a situation where you think that normally monsters, things from the underworld are wrong, but if, where do they have a place in the world if not in the Arctic North? Um, you know, so that's a, that's a good morality question, I think. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty tough. Um, who was? What was your character in the uh, campaign you were doing with Carson? Uh, I, I built um, an, an inquisitive rogue who was uh, a Sherlock Holmes-esque character who could solve puzzles and um, figure out when people were lying to him. And uh, he actually could remember every detail um, that has ever happened in his life. So it was a, it was a fun character to play. I got to be um, very, very... Um, logical and, and to the point and I got to remove emotions from, from the game which was an interesting experiment. Yeah, that's smart. I, I typically only play extremely dumb characters, intentionally dumb. I find that to be really fun but it definitely makes it hard if I ever have to think my way out of a situation to honestly try and do that as opposed to the spirit of the character who would be lost. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's it, it's fun to to make a world and then be someone who is very different from your personality and try and figure out what you would be like as a person if this is the way you kind of process thoughts. Yeah, I agree. It's that's like one of the big draws for me of Dungeons and Dragons is trying to figure out the perspective of uh, just something else. 
Yeah, and it's a great way to escape uh, from quarantine because, uh, in, at least in our game, Shaggy, I don't know about yours, but there's no COVID-19 um, in our version of Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> no, I didn't have the heart to put that in. <laughs> All right, that's uh, – sorry I hijacked uh, the Frisbee podcast to talk about Dungeons & Dragons, Steve, but that's where, that's where my heart led me. That's all right. It's where, it's where the conversation steered. That, that was okay. And, it, and it, like, I love your enthusiasm. I just don't understand it. That's all. <laughs> Next time I, I make a campaign, Steve, I'll put you in it. I don't even know what that means. Like, uh, what are we campaigning? <laughs> what are we campaigning for? Uh, if it happens, I'll explain it more. So. <laughs> I could use I could use the distraction. So put me in there. Definitely, definitely. Definitely campaign me. Okay. <laughs> is that, is, is, am I saying that right? Is that a, is that a, am I is that the right vernacular? I don't know if I'm even saying that right. I don't know. Yeah, it's close enough. Close It'll enough. work. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Ethan, I got one more question for you, my friend. Yep. Are, are you going to miss the Phoenix? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I miss um, the Phoenix. So, so much. Uh, leaving to go to D.C. was one of the hardest choices um, I've ever had to make in my ultimate career, um, which is very fortunate that, that I had a situation where two teams wanted me to play for them. I remember back in 2014 when um, I was struggling to even make the practice squad. Um, so, so looking at how far I've come and, and that multiple teams can see me as a, um, a piece that can make their, their offense or their team better, um, but leaving the Phoenix, especially at this time, was really challenging because um, the Phoenix have been on a, a major upsurge um, or a major um, growth since probably probably since 2018 when they laid the foundations and have started to keep that core. And um, it's been difficult to uh, not be around those guys, um, to watch um, some of those younger players step up into big roles and not be there to support them um, it is, is really um, bad for me. But I'm really proud of, of where the organization is going and, and also where those players are going. So I'm excited for big things from the Phoenix um, in 2020 and, and beyond. Which, which young player are you excited about watching the most? Uh, so avoiding the, the obvious um, of Paul Owens, which um, has been named um, a lot here. Oh, man. I'm excited to watch um, to Dustin. I'm excited to watch him and how he uh, starts to grow. Um, Westchester product along with Austin Lillis, uh, two D-line handlers who have a lot of chemistry together, really trust each other, um, are both very athletic and, and very talented throwers. Watching them is very exciting for me. And then just some other younger guys, Matt Hanna, relatively young, 23, watching him uh, continue to grow is, is going to be awesome to see. Um, Greg Moeller, another great young player who uh, really found a, a role as a big star on Citywide last year and seeing if he could bring some of that momentum with him to to, uh, to the Phoenix season uh, will be awesome to see it in 2020 when I'm sure we will play. You asked earlier in the podcast if I remembered you back from the uh, <clears throat> the 2014 tryout. And I, I, I just remember you being this uh, uh, red-haired, hungry, little, uh, little just, just uh, tenacious, a handler and defender, and uh, I, I just saw a lot of uh, upside in you, and uh, you you definitely have, uh, have have fulfilled that potential. Um, 
what's it like being the uh, the on the flip side of that now, where you have these younger players like Dustin Hankin calling you up saying, "I'm going to shut you down when we play against you," when you used to be that player? It's uh, it's been a really great experience for me. So, 2014 when I tried out, um, I think I, I went to all the tryouts, um, and it probably took from there probably took about four months to figure out if I was even. Um, cut or still on the roster. I had to send multiple emails. Um, I believe it was to Sean uh, back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the communication was great back then. <laughs> yeah. So, so going, <laughs> going from that to now being a player in the community where um, I have the opportunity to help some of these younger guys, um, teach them a lot of the lessons I've had to learn um, or I've gotten to learn by, by playing beeline for the Phoenix over the years. Um, has has been really great. There have been a ton of players, um, veterans who have helped me out along my journey. Um, I can, I'll give some shout-outs. Uh, Billy Sickles, uh, who's my roommate. Um, Michael Panna, who has never played uh, Phoenix, but a big spinners player. Um, um, Nick Hiranet, another spinners player. And, um, and, and David Brando, who was actually a Phoenix coach and a Phoenix player for a couple of years. So those guys really helped me out and taught me how to play as an offensive player um, and how to play at that level just in general. So being able to teach some of those tricks to the younger guys has been really awesome. All right. Is there anything else you um, you want to add in that we haven't asked you there, uh, Ethan? No, no. I, um, I I don't have anything else, I guess, left to add in. I, I've had a, a great time. Um, I really appreciate getting to be on the show. I hope I'll be back. Uh, you're more than welcome to come back anytime. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, save me from uh, – I'm having to listen to the episode if I'm on it. <laughs> I, like, you know, I don't know if the Breeze has a podcast or not, but uh, I, I, I'm sure it can. It's it's not anything that lives up to the Burning Birds' maximum potential. I, I do not think they currently have a podcast. So oh, I will I will I will only play for this podcast for the rest of 2020. All right, there you go. That's what uh, that's what we like to hear. All right, well for Ethan Fortin. And for Alexander Shaggy Shragas, I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Burning Birds.